Well, hello, this is Gary, and you're listening to Thinking Out Loud. Today's podcast, I'll try to keep it a little shorter, recorded on Monday, March 14th, 2022. News continues. It's been the same for the last few weeks. Russia, they're getting a valiant resistance. Ukraine is putting up a good fight, but um, the rest of the world is not totally with them yet, really, you know, to like truly repel Russia because we're trying to avoid a world war. Well, that's going on while Russia's invading Ukraine and bombing cities and murdering civilians, the Russian army, under Vladimir Putin's control. While they're doing that, there's people here in America that are complaining that the gas prices have gone up quite a bit in direct relation to an authoritarian government invading another country and and murdering civilians. And us being forced to... uh, you know, sever economic relations with Russia until they, you know, stop killing people. But, you know, the way our system, the way our society is structured, this is when these kind of, the imperfections get really revealed, the cracks in the foundational type stuff. Gas price goes up a bit, people are, they start panicking. How do I get to work now? How do I afford... Because there's not a lot of margin of error in this country. You know, real serious stuff happens on the other side of the country that forces us to deal with higher gas prices. It's just, it has to happen. We can't just give money to a country that has an army that is murdering civilians. They're literally using the money from oil revenue to invade another country. So we can't do business with them right now because that's what they're using the money for. So that's causing gas prices to stay at a high price and they're going to be there a while. At this point, it's kind of like, man, it would have been cool if we'd been investing more diligently in renewables, you know, and stop just like trying to pretend like oil is the future. It's obviously not. You know, we should know that by now. There will be a day when we'll be forced to, or hopefully just elect on our own, to choose something that's more viable, long-lasting. But oil isn't that thing. But we're still kind of stuck on it. And there's ramifications for that. And we're dealing with that now. Because some of the controllers of the supply of oil are very... Ruthless authoritarian governments, Saudi Arabia, Russia, these are not democratic places. They're not places that respect human rights fully and and such. And they're places that are very oppressive and use the money received to do very vindictive, cruel things. So it's, it's a many layered issue with our addiction to oil. We have to figure out a way to get away from it. The other thing it reveals in the cracks in our own society's foundation is that there is no universal basic income. There is no foundation 
really, a true foundation for the people to build off of. The slightest little hiccup in the economy or a more, you know, seismic type of thing can cause real serious economic calamity to real deal people. Now, the people at the top, even if they lose millions of dollars, it doesn't really matter. You know, they can maintain the lifestyle they've become accustomed. But for regular people, gas price goes up two bucks a gallon. And then maybe their hours dip for some reason or other costs go up. That creates a real hardship really quickly. And then if you haven't forbid to get hurt or something, now you're really fucked. You know, healthcare ain't a right. So if you don't have health insurance and you weren't injured on the job, you're screwed. You know, are you going to pay for that? So it reveals a lot of cracks, blemishes in our society. When other things that go wrong and happen, and these kind of things happen from time to time in history, authoritarian governments try to stretch out a little bit, try to expand their scope of power, and it makes things pretty volatile for a bit until that authoritarian leader is removed from power. Until that happens, they're going to just keep doing what they're doing. You know, uh, so at some point Russia may pull back and just, re but they they may just do it again. And and the way that Vladimir Putin runs his country is going to stay the same. That you have no right to free speech. You do not have the right to protest against the government. You do not have that right. That is considered a crime, and you will face face severe consequences if you're protesting against the government. Beyond just jail time, yeah, you may just be executed or disappear, never be seen again. It's that kind of place, yeah. So, and the more jarring thing, of course, too, is that Vladimir Putin was our previous president's idol, his hero, you know, a, a mentor to him, you know, a person that he emulated and wanted to be like. So another way to think of it, is Vladimir Putin is kind of like Trumpism on steroids. Yeah, it, it's a more extreme version of Trumpism. A casting out of the other, a violently trying to oppress the other. Whoever, and in Russia's case, it's Ukraine. They're, they're the other in this case. Vladimir Putin's been resorting to calling Ukraine Nazis. Nope, that's incorrect. That's propaganda. And no self-respecting Americans should be regurgitating Vladimir Putin's propaganda, but some are on Fox News and conservative media. They're regurgitating Vladimir Putin's propaganda. Pretty shameful. No, Vladimir Putin is the one that's behaving like a Nazi dictator, like Hitler. He's the one that's kind of emulating that behavior, that those kinds of actions that Hitler engaged in back in, you know, beginning of World War II invading Poland and just continuing to go further and further. You know, um, that's what Vladimir Putin is doing. You know, he, he and he is bombing ruthlessly. He, he's bombing civilians. He's ordering his army to drop bombs on civilian populations. Of course, United States of America did that twice. On a large scale, and it certainly doesn't done it plenty of times over the years. 
But it's like, uh, the, f the further we get into the technology age and social media and stuff, like everything that's happening that Russ is doing, it's, it's being captured live and being broadcast to the world. And some of it is going to bound to seep into the Russian people. The opposition will start growing and it will be inevitable that the opposition will eventually seep into the, the circle around Putin and hopefully, uh, the Russian people find a way to remove Putin from the presidency expeditiously. It has to happen, and that's an obvious statement. You know, Vladimir Putin has to be removed from power, and he has to face consequences for war crimes, plus any other specific participants of the Russian army who participated in war crimes. Yeah, there may be thousands of them. Regardless of whether it was your you were ordered to do something or not, yeah, you commit war crimes, you committed war crimes, so you have to face, face consequences. So any Russian soldier that's, uh, you know, throwing bombs, launching bombs on the civilian population, unarmed people, that's a war crime. Yeah, and so they're going to have to face consequences, regardless of whether they were ordered to do it or not, you know. Obviously, the guy that did order them to do it should face the most severe consequences, you know, he needs to be removed from power and face consequences. And so that needs to be a industrialized first world nation primary objective right now. Uh, how do we aid and assist Russia in removing Putin from their presidency and bringing him to justice? And Russia needs to elect, decide who their leader is. They need to decide. The people need to decide who they're who their leader is can't be installed by some other government the Russian people need to pick you know but that's probably not something that's gonna happen real soon but one can hope I think Putin is pushing it a little too far uh, he's gonna awake certain sleeping giants and um, it might get worse before it gets better but Hopefully it just ends quickly and Vladimir Putin is removed from power. And and then also any of those sort of uh, American politicians, pundits, leaders who supported Vladimir Putin start facing at least some kind of political consequences. You know, they don't get to retain their job. They don't get to get reelected when they're pro-fascism, you know, pro-authoritarianism. If you're not pro-democracy, it should be a pretty clear eliminator from holding a democratic office. You know, you're elected by the people. You should be pro-democracy at a bare minimum, regardless of what you view the role of government as and stuff. Government should be small and fiscally conservative. Wonderful. That's great. Do you believe in the rights of people to vote? Do you believe the government should be held accountable, you know, to the people? Um, or do you believe the government has, and the people running the government have absolute authority and should be able to behave with uh, malicious intent if, as long as it benefits their personal interests? If you don't buy into that kind of concept, then you shouldn't, then you should 
certainly be turning away from Trumpism. And also realize again, Vladimir Putin is a more extreme version of Trumpism. You know, he's a more calculated, vicious and cruel and ambitious version of Trump. You know, rose up through the ranks, KGB, and is a ruthless, cruel leader that has been in charge for a long, long time. Um, far more capable and such. So, a far more scary individual, you know. It was scary having Trump as, as a president because it was more just kind of embarrassing and depressing and just kind of pathetic. Um, it it reveals a lot about our country when that guy actually won. You know, we're, we're not in a good spot when people view that as something, someone to aspire to. That's, it's embarrassing, you know. It, I don't know how else to describe it, you know. The guy was famous for bankrupting companies and cheating on his wives and having a cameo in Home Loan too. He also appeared at WWE events, frequent guests of the Howard Stern Show, bankrupted six different companies, and then became a game show host. That, that's the Cliff Notes version of the Donald Trump's biography. And then there's also a big bullet point that's kind of the cornerstone and the foundation of his entire story. Uh, by the time he was eight years old, he was already a millionaire because his father created a trust fund for him. And by the time he was a full-grown adult, he was already a multimillionaire working for his father. And over the course of his life, he inherited over, in today's dollars, $400 million from his father. A gargantuan amount of money. An amount of money that you don't have to do anything and you can maintain an extremely affluent lifestyle in perpetuity doing nothing. You don't have to be good at anything. And you can live extremely well. Yeah. And in fact, Donald Trump was the worst businessman in all of America for several years running in the 1980s. The worst. Literally. Last place. Dead last. Lost more money than anybody. Several years running. Now, it may very well be that he lost more money than anyone many other years, but those records still haven't been released to the public yet. Some news outlets have seen them and, you know, were able to reveal certain bits of information. Certain journalists have seen them. Um, one journalist once said that Donald Trump wasn't a billionaire. Donald Trump sued him, but then that journalist was allowed discovery and in that they certainly learned that Donald Trump was not a billionaire still quite wealthy hundreds of millions in net worth uh, because again if you inherit 400 million dollars you invest just a good sizable portion of that you don't even have to invest all of it but a good 200 million or so two three hundred million in a fixed annuity earning three percent three percent that's it that's all you need that's a, that's a real low modest rate of return you can easily have uh, something that pays you, in perpetuity, several million a year. You can even have it so it's monthly installments of, say, you know, 300000 400000 a month, forever. Could you live off of that? Could you maintain a very comfortable lifestyle off of 400000 a month, forever? What kind of stuff could you do? What would you do with that money? Well, Donald Trump used that money to prop up fame to promote his name, 
and image and likeness so that people were aware of him so then there was some kind of value in his name and then he would sell his name to the owners of buildings and then they would pay a fee to have his name on their building and so basically because he was so wealthy he was able to actually sort of almost like buy fame in a way and then use the fame to get more money and that was kind of his entire business yeah under the guise the sort of front of real estate management you know and, and again and he does indeed own many real estate properties many of them are in the red losing money uh, many of the properties that he has his name on he doesn't actually own it's a licensing agreement many of those license agreements have been canceled because his name image and likeness has an ever fluctuating value um, eventually it will have almost no value at all and I think we're on the brink of that where it'll be an extremely toxic brand and it'll be very difficult to rehabilitate it'll be kind of the embodiment of failure corruption incompetence and ignorance you know Trump you, you've been trumped you've been conned by a, a blatantly corrupt person who, who kind of leans into the corruption you've been trumped you know kind of you should have seen it coming but you didn't god bless you you know don't wish you any harm but you've been trumped you know and that's kind of what it's gonna mean moving for moving forward you know because History is not going to be kind to the man, and it's, he's, it's, history is certainly not going to be kind to the people that were, like, boastfully, proudly uh, proclaiming their allegiance to the man. You know, that it, it's not going to be a good look um, when, it's, when we're further into the future and we're looking back at this time, because there's going to be a way of kind of condensing this weird stretch of time, and it's just going to look insane, you know, because you'll be able to just... It was obviously pretty surreal while living through it, you, you know, it, it, trying to find the humanity in the man is, is extremely difficult with Trump, you know, like trying to find what it is that's appealing about him is difficult, you know, why are there so many people that dig him, that think, him, that think he's awesome, where, where does that come from, why do they think he's strong, he's tall and kind of big, but he has horrible posture and he's out of shape and he's kind of a dullard intellectually. It just doesn't embody like strength and fitness and vibrancy by any stretch of the imagination. I don't really understand why people see that in him, you know. Even when he was back in his heyday, he just looked like such a schmuck, you know, that just that arrogant smile he, he just seemed to kind of lean into yes I'm rich I'm rich and wealthy and it's just because I get to be and there's nothing you can do about it but then he would like kind of pretend that you could be like him and he would sell you stuff like how to get rich quick thing but you can't be wealthy like him like, 
he's a different kind of wealthy. He's, he's not a wealthy that you can achieve, that you can work your way up to. It's a totally different kind of wealth. It's a wealth that's like inherited, that's locked in for you. So it doesn't matter how you live your life, you'll be able to live however you want. The money's, you would have to really go out of your way to lose all the money because it's going to be invested in certain types of things that virtually guarantee a pretty steady return indefinitely, you know. And then again, you just set yourself up with a good $400,000 a month allowance forever. That should be more than enough to live pretty comfortably. And you can even use some of that money to make certain investments that may even yield additional revenue and such. Create businesses that are actually long-lasting. Organizations that have a real good positive impact and such. But, uh, you know, Mr. Trump didn't seem to want to go that direction. So... We're at a weird time. I'm hoping that it's like a crossroads for humanity. It, it, you know, we start, we're starting to reveal the extremes of really bad sociopathic authoritarian dictator types gaining power and then what they do with their power. You know, it's never good. You know, what they offer, what they're, what they're offering isn't even good, but they're, they say it's good. You know, Donald Trump... 2016, he runs a campaign that's the entire foundation of it is the promise of a building of a wall. Something that's never appealing to me. That's that, that's a, a a promise that he's making that it's like I'm immediately like, well, I'm not voting for that guy. But somehow that message like really appeals to others. It's it's a it's inspiring to them. It makes them want to vote for him. That he's promising the wall, a wall along the. U.S.-Mexico border in the middle of the desert, you know. How is that? It's just odd. I, I, I don't, like, what are people doing with their lives? How are they living their life if that's, like, the cornerstone of why they're going to vote for someone? Whether or not they get a wall built in the middle of the desert. Like, that's really something that's, like, on the first and foremost on their mind as they're living their day-to-day -day lives? Huh. You know, I, even if you're living in, like, Iowa or some shit? I mean, I, maybe I get it a little if you're in San Antonio or something, but if you're in San Antonio, Texas, Texas, San Antonio, it's a, you know, it's a Spanish name. Like, if you're living in an area that used to be part of the Spanish Empire, I just feel like you would be more understanding of and comfortable with a, a wide mix of Latinos, Anglos kind of mixing together in, in more abundance, and maybe even in areas where there's a, a, a larger Latino American population than the Anglo American population. In certain areas, yeah, I mean, especially in an area that used to be part of the Spanish Empire, there's going to maybe be parts of the country where there is a more dominant Spanish-speaking population, you know, so, because most of the fears, the thing with the wall is, is like fear of Latino, fear of Spanish-speaking peoples, and, and then this sort of like, well, America is this, it's, we, we speak English in America, well, a lot of people do, most people do, I would say, but there's... You know, people that speak Portuguese and Chinese, there's various native dialects that are still spoken, French, Spanish, 
you know, Italian. There's all kinds of languages spoken in the United States of America, and there always has been, all the way, all the way since the beginning. You know, we have a, we've had strong relations with uh, with the Dutch, Netherlands, going back to the beginning. They were heavily and helped heavily in financing our early government. So, you know, obviously there was Dutch speaking people speaking Dutch in this country way back in the 18th century, French, Spanish, you know, obviously the various native dialects. There's uh, thousands of Chinese immigrants that helped build the railroad, so Chinese has been spoken in this country for hundreds of years, you know, so we are a multilingual, multicultural, racially, the most diverse in all those areas country in the history of human civilization. That, that is what we are, you know, everyone from everywhere is here and so you know containing some kind of so part of that is is I think at some point we have to kind of start accepting some level of a some level of fluidity between our southern neighbor and our and our northern neighbor we s sort of allow a certain level of fluidity with Canada a, a, a little easier flowing in between but with Mexico, we're a little more rigid, which is weird. You know, I, I don't really understand why. I mean, I... But, but I think I think we're on... We we can be on an upward. I think this this authoritarian thing, it's like it's, it's, it, it's pushing it too far. And it's going to wake the sleeping giant. And uh, it will be repelled, I think... I think people maybe they'll just start taking voting more seriously and start taking who they're picking more seriously and start picking actual like decent human beings you know so in other words not Kevin McCarthy Jim Jordan Matt Gates Mitch McConnell Lindsey Graham or Joe Manchin for that matter because all those first list of names were all Republicans Joe Manchin is a Democrat he's not good I don't support Joe Manchin just because he's got a D next to his name. I'm anti-Joe Manchin. He's not He's not a good guy. Should not vote for him. Do not vote for that guy, even though he's got a D next to his name. And just for clarity, too, I've been kind of anti-Trump since I was probably about seven or eight years old. I kind of knew that he was not someone to support even when I was a child. So that's the kind of added level of embarrassment I have for my society. And my fellow citizens, when full-grown adults don't understand that Donald Trump is not someone to support and to emulate. Like, they don't understand that if you're telling your children to be honest and trustworthy, and then you, in the same sentence, you, you know, are open about your support of Donald John Trump, you've contradicted yourself. And they know that. You know, they're not stupid. You know, we think that they are, but yeah, you know, um, it's going to be hard for them. It, it's going to be start revealing some flaws and in, in, in uh, you know, whatever and how they view you, I guess. If you're a parent of a kid teaching your kids to be honest and trustworthy and all that kind of stuff and be golden rule, and then you're also a Trump supporter, it it's going to create some confusion. You know, because Trump is what he is. I mean, you can pretend that he's not, but, you know, he's not someone to aspire to. The reason I bring that up, too, is because 
many of my conservative friends during the beginning of the Trump era would just assume I was against Trump because he had an R next to his name. And that's incorrect. No, I've been anti-Trump. Do not support Trump. I understand and know that he's not someone to support and emulate in any way, shape, or form. No, I understand that. Regardless of what letter has been next to his name. He's been a reformed party candidate. He's been a Democrat. He's been a Republican. He's run into various different political organizations until one finally picked him. Never did I support him, regardless of what letter was next to his name or what political allegiance he was claiming to have at the time. No, he has, he is a morally bankrupt person, and he has been so for decades. And I understood this as a child, as a child, you know, and I wasn't the sharpest kid around or anything, you know, I was just a normal kid. Just a fairly regular kid, but he was on TV a lot, and I saw him a lot. But I understood that he's not someone to be like. There's a lot of wealth there, but it it just I did I saw through the mirage pretty easily, and I I it's honestly I always thought that everyone else did too, but I guess not. A lot of people did. I would say most people understood what he was, but there was this pretty sizable portion of the populace that just did either they weren't following the story the whole time or I, I'm not really sure what happened there the apprentice thing I think it, it, it almost like it whitewashed his several decades prior and it's almost like it people pretended like it didn't happen and then the apprentice game show that he hosted I think people thought it was a reality show that it was actual reality, that he was actually a successful business person because he was pretending to be one on a game show. And it's like, no, 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 he's just the host of a game show. He's playing a character who has the same name as him. Yeah. He's playing the character Donald John Trump. It happens in movies a lot, you know, like in the, what was that one zombie, Zombieland, where Bill Murray played himself. It was like, You'll see it in the credits at the end sometimes where a certain actor will play himself. We'll just say Bill Murray as himself. You know, That's really what The Apprentice was. It was Donald Trump playing himself, but a certain version of himself. A very highly edited, scripted, you know... You, you have to cut down what he's saying quite a bit because he's, he's not real smart. He's not real prepared. And he's not that good of a speaker. You know, and he's not actually a successful business person. So you have to kind of produce. There's a lot of producing going on there to make him seem to be an intelligent, successful business person, which he is not. You know, he's just a guy with a lot of money that he was born with, who was able to buy fame with it and then use the fame to get more money. That's it. That's, his, that's what he does. That's what he is. But he's been able to make quite a quite a career, I guess, if you want to call it that. You know, um, what a weird, crazy tale it's been. It's, it's winding down. He's a very old man now, in the twilight of his years. But his his father lived to be in his 90s, I think. So, who knows? We might have a couple more decades of Trump just lingering around, getting old, just saying stupid shit from his rocking chair or whatever the you know like. I guess, you know, there's plenty of former presidents that aren't on the news every single day, 
you know, and he's no longer the president. So Neustis can just stop putting a microphone in his face. That'd be awesome. And the uh, Republican parties would just have to find somebody else to pick. But um, I think they went too far. So it's going to be hard to get any non-MAGA to vote Republican. But, of course, it's still just a two-party race, so that's how, of course, the media is going to present it. you got either Republican or Democrat. Even after all that, even after the four years of the Trump presidency and the shit show that that was, the organization that picked him is still one of only two options. You know, they, they weren't, like, eliminated from contention or, or, like, moved to some kind of subdivision. Like, it happens in sports, you know. In the United States of America, we basically have one league that has two teams and that's it they just play each other all season and then they'll play again in the championship and then one of the two teams will win the championship and then the next season that's it's just the same two teams that will compete each week and then those two teams will meet in the championship and then whichever one wins they're the champion it doesn't even matter what their regular season record was that would be a pretty boring league you know but that's what our politics is you know, every professional league has teams all over this, all over the country. You know, there's, you know, emphatic loyalties to each specific team. But when it comes to politics, we we get two, we get two teams to choose from. That's it, just two. Because the other teams are like minor league teams. So there's basically only two major league teams, and then like ten-ish, or maybe even less minor league clubs. So the minor league clubs kind of all compete against each other all the time, but basically the, you know, they're not vying for any sort of championship or anything. But the Republican and Democrat Party, they're the, basically the only two teams, and so they just compete every week and every year. And sometimes one of them will win a championship two years in a row, or maybe even three, and have a kind of a mini dynasty going, you know, because they're beating the Democrats in the championship. But then the Democrats will win one or two. And, and that's it. And that just kind of goes on for over for 100 over 100 years now, you know, since the Republican Party was founded. That's basically just what it's been. And they and even at certain points they kind of switched what their kind of political allegiance was and what their core values were. You know, if I was in the 19th century, I would have been a Republican. You know, that's that would have been pro Abraham Lincoln, yeah, pro Union, for sure. The Democrats are more in the South and tended to be more in the Confederate side and such. So, you know, their allegiance and what they view as important and stuff has kind of changed certainly over the year, but it's still just the two teams. You know, so hopefully we can get some more teams to join the political major leagues, if you will. Just as Democrats as an actual major league team, the Green Party, Libertarian Party on the more conservative side. So you can have like, you know, the American, the uh, Democratic division, the left division or whatever that would have Democrats, Social Democrats, just as Democrats, various versions of that. And then, uh, you know, the Green Party. And then on the on the conservative division, you know, you'd have the uh, Libertarian, Constitutionalist, Republican uh, Tea Party Republican. Tea Party should be its own subdivision, its own separate organization from the Republican Party. You know, it shouldn't be. And same with the Democrats, the Just Democrats, Social Democrats. Those should all be specific 
groups with specific goals and such that you can vote for. But uh, instead, we're forced to vote for these conglomerates because that's what they really are. The, the two teams are really like comprised of thousands of organizations, all kinds of different, you know, teams, but they just kind of all fly under this one banner, you know, kind of under like that's just the way it is. But we need to start getting more choices. So sometimes I ponder the uh, the freak power ticket that uh, Hunter S. Thompson ran as back in uh, when he was running for Aspen Aspen Sheriff. He's one of my favorite authors. Sometimes I wonder, like, just stir up the system a bit just by getting as many people to vote as possible, like getting like an 80%, 90% turnout. You know, just something insane. So many people voting. Like, what would happen? You know. I don't think it would just be Republican Democrat. There would be a ton of other organizations and people getting votes, you know. It's got to be a way to stir more people up to vote cuz I think that's the only way these sort of fascist idiots are able to stay in power is when you know, there's too few people voting. So the commoner's vote is outweighed by the wealthy millionaire. All right. I want to wind this down. I said I was going to keep it short, but now I'm at 37 minutes. I want to yammer every time from over an hour. But it's good to vent on this stuff. Prayers are with the Ukrainian people. I hope uh, Ukraine repels Russia quickly and safely. That there is a way to repeal Russia. And it happens fast. I hope that Russia's leader, Vladimir Putin, is removed from the presidency by the Russian people. And that they replace him with a humane person that will lead the Russian people towards a more democratic society where the Russian people have a say in their country. I hope that uh, more people register and vote in the next election, and I hope that the Trumpism is fading quickly and, and will go away, and people will stop embracing such negative, stupid things. And start embracing more positive things and uh, foundational type stuff like hospitals as a right, education as a right, and even a basic stipend, basic income that's tied to the overall economic performance of our society that we all participate in. That's all reliant on us, the workers. Without us working, there is no economy. You just have a bunch of wealthy people with paper. The value of the paper goes to nothing if no one goes to work. Yeah. They, they, it were, requires millions of people going to work every day for the value of corporations to stay highly profitable so that they can use mass portions of that profit to pay dividends to the shareholders and bonuses to the execs. So they do rely on us to work, and those wealthy people owning the corporations have been paying politicians to vote no on things that benefit us people doing all the work at said corporations that are owned by the wealthy and various other businesses. So, we all would benefit by having health care as a right and education as a right and even a basic stipend. And we would all still be able to choose our own path. In other words, earn as much as we ought and choose what we do for a living. We wouldn't be bound to the corporate system almost through force as there's no 
few to any other options in the area. You're almost forced to work for the corporate empire. In a society where you have hospitals as a right, education as a right, and a basic statement, you have more control of your own destiny. Yes, you still have to work if you want things. Yes, you have to work towards those things. The foundation is just the foundation. So if you choose to lay on the foundation, then you're laying on a slab of concrete. It's probably not going to be too comfortable. For some people, it will be, though. And if you're not one of those people, why worry about the person that's comfortable laying on the slab of concrete? You can reach out to them and try to encourage them to... But don't spit on them. That, that's just stupid. I don't understand why people do that, you know? Like, if you need more than the foundational stuff, then work towards it and go do it. If you want to encourage others, great. But you don't need to spit on the ones that are perfectly happy just laying on the slab of concrete. If that's all they want to do, then that's all they want to do. And maybe they'll change their mind later. You know, you live your life. So if healthcare is right, education is right, and you get a universal basic stipend, some people just may kind of exist for a while. Others may just bust their butt, take more calculated risks. Who knows? It's wide open. So hopefully we can get to a society that is more that way, where there is more foundational stuff that the working class people can jump off of. Yes, you can still do very well and be quite successful. There's no punishment of success. There's no cap on earnings necessarily. You can still earn exorbitant amounts of money if that's what's important to you. But for those that that isn't important, having a good, comfortable life, fruitful life, living vibrantly, makes it more plausible, possible. When healthcare is the right, education is the right, and you get a basic stipend, you have some more control over your own destiny. You can take more calculated risks. That's a good thing. Yeah. So why not? Don't vote for politicians that are anti-healthcare and anti-education. Don't vote for them. Okay? That, And that's what it means when they are... when. They're f solely focused on health insurance and stuff. If they start blabbering about health insurance, that's where their mind's at. How do the health insurance companies remain profitable? Okay. Shouldn't be worried about that. They're a, they're a for-profit company. They'll figure something out. They're going to have to differentiate their product if healthcare becomes a right. They're going to probably have to start selling more disability income and different types of life insurance and variable universal life insurance and such whole life yeah there's all different types of life insurance there's different types of insurance beyond just health insurance there's long-term care yeah again disability income so there'll be other options for people that health insurance companies are going to have to look into if the product they're selling is no longer worth anything yeah they're gonna have to figure some things out if they want to remain profitable and continue to increase shareholder value and continue to pay massive bonuses to the execs. If they want to continue to do that, if our society chooses to make healthcare a right, well then yeah, those businesses, those specific types of businesses are going to have to do some differentiating really quick. They're going to have to make some adjustments to their business model really fast. Yeah, because they've been profiting off of an inefficiency in our society for whatever reason. Even though our society can't, aff can't afford it, we've just never made hospitals a right. Even though we can afford it, we just never did. 
We just never got around to it. We got distracted by other stuff, and for whatever reason, hospitals already exist. They're already there. We already have publicly funded schools that also have, you know, medical school. You know, we already have this thing that we're already investing in, you know, hospitals and all that. But you know, we just never got around to to paying for them directly. And so there's been this business that's been able to take advantage of that and earn a lot of money because people need health care. It's a need. You need it. You need to get health care at times, you know, bound to at least a couple times in your life, you know, you're going to need health care. So main thing is just the... Uh, don't vote for politicians whose primary concern when it comes to health care is how health insurance companies remain profitable. If that's their primary focus, don't worry. Don't vote for them. They should be focused on you, the, the voter, the person. Okay. For-profit entity, whether or not it remains profitable, is really irrelevant. Okay. People in working in said sector, sure. Those specific people... You can have some sort of program to help them transition to something different. They won't have to move out of the insurance industry, obviously. They'll just switch to selling a different type of insurance. Yeah, But to help with that, maybe you have some kind of government thing. If, there, if there's a government program initiated that is going to basically diminish a ter certain sector of the economy, yeah, you, you'd want to correlate that with some kind of helping transition people working in that sector to something different. Sure. But um, hopefully we, we start getting to that. Basic stuff. Basic foundational stuff and stop worrying about letting really crazy wealthy people just do whatever the heck they want. Because that is bad. And that's what we've been doing for a while. And it got really carried away. 2016 through 2020. That was kind of the high water mark, if you will, of just blatant, you know, wealthy corruption, just on a grand scale, just wealthy assholes just doing whatever they want, little to any regard to how it may affect the common person. Uh, it wasn't just Trump. It, it, the entire circle surrounding him, all kinds of these just wealthy, powerful elitists, just kind of rubbing our noses in their corruption, you know, blatant, in-your-face kind of stuff. And so we got to stop doing that because those kind of people do real damage to real, live, living, breathing people. They have a negative effect on our lives, you know, so don't vote for them. Don't vote for inhumane, sociopathic individuals, you know, they're, they're not going to make your life better. And it, if, if you need some sort of cathartic in a group cheer and get mad kind of thing, go to a rock concert or something, man. You know, like uh, there's still metal is still around. Punk music is still around. If you need to, like, go to, to a live place with a big crowd and get a little rowdy, there's people that are still into that. You know, it's still around, you, you know. Um, yeah, there, there's other ways to kind of get that feeling. I don't know why you're getting that feeling at a Trump rally, but I don't, I don't really understand what's inspired. But whatever, there, there's some the MAGA crowd is like they're getting something out of the MAGA thing, 
the community of it. And so we got to find a way to like replace that with something more positive in what was still the communal feel. So hopefully they find that, fill that void. All right, this time definitely I'm signing off for sure. I started my sign off 10 minutes ago. I'm still yabbering. All right, so stay safe out there. God bless. This is Gary. Thinking out loud.